Today, I want to talk about joy and what if, 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 if there was or, or if there is such a thing as like extreme, utmost, radical, inexpressible joy, the greatest joy possible, um, would it be worth pursuing? The truth is that most of the world does chase after some promise of joy. Um, and also the truth is that God wants us to have the greatest joy possible, extreme joy. So, so yes, I think joy is worth pursuing. But then that begs another question. Whose promises for joy will we believe, God's or the world's? The world, uh, yeah, it promises exotic pleasures of all kind. And every day, people all over the world, they believe the world over God. I mean, I do it, you do it, we all do it. And, and we, if you're a believer, you have to repent and turn back to God over and over. We die to ourselves daily, and, and uh, we live for Christ. Um, so, so who will you believe, right? Um, Adam and Eve, they believe Satan. Satan's promises over God's, and every person that's ever been born and ever lived has did the same thing. And, um, and people who actually live their lives ultimately seeking joy from the world are called hedonists. And according to the dictionary, a hedonist believes, quote, pleasure is the highest good and proper aim of human life, unquote. So here's like my definition. Um, if you ever come to Oklahoma, and they may, may have one in your state too, but um, yeah, you can eat at a restaurant called the Golden Corral, all-you-can-eat buffet. And if you're like me, you'll want to try many, many things that they have to offer. And at some point, you'll get full, but still not satisfied. So, yeah, you, you'll you keep eating and, and wind up stuffing yourself with catfish, shrimp, uh, steak. Yeah, the steak, ice cream and cake and... And, and you'll keep on stuffing yourself until you're sick, but you never will be really satisfied. And and uh, the next thing you know, you know, like sick and throwing up is not the definition of joy, nor is it being satisfied. And I think that's kind of the way hedonis, hedonism of the world works. Nothing satisfies. I mean, eventually, uh, er everyone just that this seeks that believes the world's promises for pleasure gets sick um, yeah we can see that principle also work um, exaggerated when we look at not all but some of the wealthy people who can buy anything they want right they they have enough money they they don't have to worry about it. they can have whatever they want the world is their buffet and they sample whatever they want whenever they want and and still, yeah, nothing really truly satisfies them. So even even though they're full of stuff, they keep looking for joy in the world, and they keep believing the promises that the world makes. Um, 
And since they never find out what, you know, what they uh, are searching for, they, they consume it. They continually consume these things and eventually it makes them sick. And the end of the world's promises always end in disappointment. But you know, um, God created us in a fashion so that we have the greatest joy possible when we find our satisfaction in Him. You see, He is the greatest. He is the best there is. And guess what? Finding our satisfaction in Him is exactly what glorifies Him. That's what He wants for us. Um, he wants us to find satisfaction in the best there is. And that's him. That's Jesus Christ. And he knows that he's the best. He doesn't hide that. He doesn't lie to us and say, oh, he, he didn't show false humility and say that he's not the best. No, he is the best. And he tells us that because that is our only hope for true joy. Um, you might say he wants us to be a Christian hedonist by seeking the greatest joy possible by treasuring him for who he really is. Here's a couple scenarios. Um, if someone's job was to trade stocks for profit and they were given a trustworthy tip that the next Amazon or Microsoft was available to buy real cheap, in their joy, they would sell all their stocks, every, everything they owned, so that they could buy that one stock. All right? So they'd be willing to sell all they have, all they own in life, and they would do it in joy. They would joyfully, excitably do that so they could buy that one stock. Let's say you went to a garage sale and you found an antique for $10,000. And you thought, well, I don't have $10,000, but hey, I saw this exact same thing on Antiques Roadshow last week. And it sold for $10 million. What would you do? You would go home and you would sell all that you had. Enjoy you would joyfully do it so that you could buy that antique. You know, Jesus is infinitely greater than all the treasures of the earth combined. Jesus is a treasure so great, so wonderful that he is, I mean, it's, it's, worth, it's worth it to you to sell everything you have so that you could have Jesus. In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus gave this example, the same example. Uh, and here's what he said. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Yeah, yeah this is an amazing parable. And it's just one sentence, but it focuses on true Christian hedonism. In his joy, he sells all the things on the world's buffet 
um, for Jesus. Um, you know, joy we, in turning from the promises of sin to Jesus is not only necessary when we come to Christ, but joy is mandatory also in our service to Christ, in our worship of Christ after we come to know him as our greatest treasure. Joy is mandatory. And um, Psalms 100 verses 1 and 2 say, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Have you ever uh, thought about that? The fact this is, is that it is not a suggestion, it is a command. God commands us to rejoice in him. Make a joyful noise to the, to the Lord, all the earth. It's not a suggestion. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, maybe one of the shortest verses in the Bible, rejoice always. That's a command, it's not a suggestion. Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Psalm 66.1, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Psalm 47.1, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud sounds, songs of joy. Um, yeah, it, it, is a, it is actually a horrible detestable sin not to serve the Lord with gladness and joy. In Deuteronomy 28, um, verses 46 and 47, and if you'll just read the whole chapter, you'll find some amazing things here. But God gives a severe warning in that chapter uh, of about somewhere around a hundred horrible curses to come upon Israel if they do not do one thing. This one thing in verse 46 and 47, when they come into the promised land, God is about to bless them and overflow them with so many blessings of the land and, and to just lavish blessings upon them. But the warning is that all these around 100 curses will come upon them if they don't do this one thing. And here's what it says, verses 46 and 47, Deuteronomy 28. And speaking of the curses, they shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of of all things. So God was going to give Israel an abundance of all things in the promised land that they were going to. But he did not want them to seek to find um, joy or the promises of joy and all those things on that buffet table that he was giving them, that he was going to bless them with. That's not where he wanted them to find joy or to seek joy. But he wanted them to find joy in serving the Lord their God. 
that joy is mandatory. It's a command from God. And it's a matter of the heart. We cannot find joy in the abundance of things. And uh, the worldly hedonist, they eventually find that out. So many of the wealthy that, that we see in the spotlight have committed suicide and have, or have got overdosed on drugs or have uh, just went off the deep end because they, they never could find true joy in the abundance of things. And God tells Israel that all these curses would come upon his people if they did not find joy in him, but instead found joy in the blessings of God. We have to be careful, right, about that. So for the believer, seeking the greatest joy possible is good and worth pursuing, but not in that the ultimate end goal is to find joy in things, but that we might find joy in God being glorified. That's what God, that's what makes a Christian happy is when they see God exalted. They see, see him as the greatest treasure that there is. And, uh, and God wants us to find our joy in him. That, that should be a, our ultimate goal. George Mueller was a, uh, a pastor. Um, and also, he, he was a man that had a heart for orphans. And God provided. If you ever get a chance to read a biography of him, uh, if you haven't, I would suggest it. It's a real blessing. But he said this, The first great and primary business which I ought to attend every day is Facebook. No, no, not Facebook. That was a joke. Check my email. No, 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 that's not it. The, the first great and primary business which I ought to attend every day is um, to have my soul happy in the Lord. God wants us to be happy in Him. C.S. Lewis said it this way, It is a Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as he can. Um, you know, living a Christian life without joy it's like trying to eat a meal without being able to taste it. It's like being married and never enjoying time with your mate. All right, so I think we've established the, the, uh, the point that, that joy is something God commands and he expects. And uh, it's mandatory in the Christian life um, because... Um, it's an automatic thing when we see Jesus as our greatest treasure. All right. So um, I want us to also consider how joy is like a weapon of mass destruction against evil and against Satan. Okay. Um, and I think partly that comes by... Um, that we get joy by believing God. We get joy by trusting his word. Um, when a presidential candidate makes a promise, many people are, are filled with joy, especially if they believe him or her. 
when they realize they cannot trust them later on, which that usually happens, um, then their, their joy vanishes. But at the time, I mean, people get excited. Yes, man, I believe them. I believe them. That's great. Okay. Um, when a dad makes a promise to take his son camping or fishing, the son has great joy in believing that promise. If he did not trust his dad, he would not have that joy. Um, but if his dad does not keep his word, then that joy vanishes. Thankfully, God is not like us. He always keeps his promises. And when we trust him, we have joy. And when we trust that he is the greatest treasure there is, and that we can put our trust in him and, um, and that he will fulfill all the promises that he's ever made, then we have joy. Joy in, in, uh, in future grace, in the future promises that he's made, um, that he will deliver them. Um, and we can look back and see all the promises he's already made to us and has delivered on. So, so he is, we realize he's trustworthy, and that's uh, where we find our joy in him. Um, all right. Um, there's a number of scriptures that um, bear this principle out about how when we believe God, we have joy. I do like this one here. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, speaking to Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So if you notice that it says you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of, uh, filled with glory. So trusting God, you know, that's what it leads to, inexpressible joy, as well as salvation also. Um, okay, another thing I want us to keep in mind before we close here is in order to find joy in trusting God's promises, believing Him, we have to know those promises, don't we? Um, therefore, he gives us the desire to be in his word. We have to stay connected to him. And Jesus reminds us of that in John 15. In John 15, he said this. And remember, the context was surrounding the mission he was giving them uh, the day before he went to the cross, right? He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Uh, so you can say God wanted them to walk close to him and to meditate and ponder upon his words and promises. And, and, and when he says, my words abide in you, I think it means like, take those words, uh, take them with you wherever you go, right? Everywhere. My word abide in you, you know? Then he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He seems to have said like, hey, if you are with me 100% on mission, I'm going to give you whatever you need. I'm going to back you 100%. For my mission, you know, um, I don't think this was just for his disciples back then. It was, it was for us as well. The principle is taught throughout the New Testament, and uh, we may look at a couple more examples a little later. Uh, 
Um, but it says in verse 8, John 15, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Then three verses later it says, uh, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So you see how joy is connected to walking in God's word and taking those promises with us throughout the day. It's, and he says it's not our joy that he gives us, but it is actually his joy that he shares with us. Um, just as he shares his glory and all things with us. And you can read more about that in John 17. So anyway, that that's why I think memorization and of his promises is a good thing, right? It, it's a way to be intentional about internalizing his word and um, and so the promises of God you know are important for us if we are to believe God's word and if believing as we have read um, brings joy to our hearts then we need to um, learn more of God's promises we need to stay more connected to God's Word, right? We, we, we don't need to just come to church and hear it once a week, but uh, we, we should just uh, you know, long for God's Word. As the deer pants for the water, so my, my, my soul longs after you, O Lord, you know? And maybe you can think of some great promises that, that have helped you out in life. But, but we face trials every single day. And maybe great promises from God's word. But, you know, we face problems, trials every single day. So we need to stay connected to God's word. We need more of those promises. God wants us to be on his mission. And he wants his word to um, abide in our heart and us to abide in him. And, and the only way that can happen happen is if we stay close, close to God's Word. Um, you know, there's a lot of scriptures that come to mind to me that have helped me in life because I believe them. They brought me joy. Isaiah 40, 31. Um, but they who wait for the Lord shall, re uh, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I've, I've been comforted by that verse many times in my life. And one my mom uh, brought up, um, brought me up on, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight your paths. How about Romans 8, 28? Uh, man, probably a, a very special verse for all Christians who know it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Um, and there's just so, so many more. We need God's word in our arsenal because we face trials every single day of our life. And without God's word, we're going to not have his word in our hearts to believe. And so we're going to miss out on the joy and we're not going to succeed in the mission the way God wants us to. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
um, when we're when we're tired and and trials and tribulations. Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a special one to me. It's comforted me many times. Um, Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Jesus said, um, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to get good, give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, yeah, so many. Uh, let me finish up with just a couple more, three more here, and then we'll close with a prayer. Second Corinthians 9, verses 8 through 11. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Yeah, God wants to give so that thanksgiving will be given to him. He wants to give you blessings so that you may glorify him with those blessings, um, with good works, that he may be glorified. It's all for the glory of God, and that's what makes us happy. That's what brings us joy when God is glorified. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace God has been given, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches, in glory in Christ Jesus. And, I mean, we could keep going on all day about that. Um, just a lot, I, I've noticed something I haven't brought out yet. And I, I did mention it. I just want to close with this uh, really quickly. The joy of the Lord is a weapon of mass destruction against Satan. And we could look at many scriptures that show us this. Um, um, I think uh, we, we could look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's see. Um, and here's what he said. I'll just read this one text. You can read it on your own, the whole chapter. Uh, where, I mean, this was after they had sinned, um, the, the people of God. Then he said to them, verse 10, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine. Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. God had offered his forgiveness. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, here's let me give you two more. 
then I am going to pray. I do believe and close this. Um, whoever heard of putting an army, of an army putting um, their choir on the front lines in war? That's what happened one day when Jehoshaphat, a good godly king of Judah, um, he, when the Moabites, Ammonites, and some, some of the others were coming for him in battle, he received word, word from God how they should not be afraid. Um, and it says in Second Chronicles twenty twenty, and they rose early in the morning, went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the man of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Yeah. The joy of the Lord, singing to the Lord, praising the Lord. That is your weapon against Satan. Um, man, we could go on here. Well, one more. Let's try this one. Um, remember how in Acts uh, 16, Paul cast out an evil spirit? And then him and Silas were stripped and beaten and thrown in prison, right? In the inner chamber of the prison. Verse 25 of Acts 16 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was were shaken. Foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So you can read more about that. Um, and um, we'll close with a, a story that uh, John Piper tells about how he was called to a, a home of a person who was, uh, he was told was demon-possessed. And uh, I, I think he was, didn't know really how to approach this. He brought a few people with him from church, and they went to this person's house. And here's what he says in his own, own words. For about two hours, I talked to her and read her scriptures and prayed prayers of deliverance. She became increasingly violent, knocking the Bible out of my hand and grabbing the prayer sheets and shoving me. At one time, about one in the morning, someone in the group began to sing. It was one of our familiar worship songs. We sang it again and again, and the Lord gave us new words for it each time. She began to tremble and threaten us if we didn't stop. Then she threw herself on the floor and screamed for Satan not to leave her. She went into convulsions and then went limp. When she came to, she remembered nothing of what happened and was willing to read the scripture and pray. Our Father God, you are totally awesome, Lord. 
Um, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the joy that you give us in Jesus, the joy that didn't come from anything that we did, uh, none of our own goodness or righteousness. We don't have any, Lord. Uh, we we obtain your righteousness by grace and by mercy. You said you'll have mercy and not sacrifice. Lord, we believe in Jesus. Thank you for uh, the grace. Um, thank you for the command that we might believe in Jesus, Lord. And thank you for letting us do that. Thank you for letting us come to you and, and rest, Lord. Take your yoke upon us, Lord. Thank you for the joy that comes, not from us, not from anything we've done, but by you showing us how beautiful you are, Lord, and how uh, you are a delight for us to, to look to and, and to trust in, Lord. Um, help us to walk in this joy and not in legalism, Lord. Help us to, to share this joy of freedom, of, of your love with those around us, Lord. Keep us walking in your joy, Lord, that we might defeat Satan, Father. Um, when we rejoice in you, we're rejoicing in your strength and not our own strength. Lord, um, keep us close to you, Lord. Help us to, to, to stay close to your word, Lord, every day. And rejoice in your word and, and to, to carry your word around with us, to memorize it, to ponder it, meditate upon it, Lord. And to walk with you, Lord, and be about your mission and, and not to go back to our old mission before we came to you, Lord, where it was about us, where it was we were for ourselves, Lord. But let us be for you, Lord, and stay close to you and walk in your joy. And we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Christian fellowship. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.